Just uh, getting old, you know, I stand up and I have to stand there for a minute see if my legs are going to work. But the Bible says if there's any good in anything, to think on those things. So I got to thinking about the advantages of getting old. Old people seldom ever get kidnapped. <laughs> I, I can't remember reading a time that a, a senior citizen got kidnapped for, for, for ransom. I just don't hear that. And in case of a terrorist hostage situation, they always release us first. We, we don't have any negotiating power. They, they, they want to get rid of us. And you know, whatever we buy lasts the rest of our life. Young people can't say that. Whatever I buy is probably going to last the rest of my life, but you guys can't say that. So, you know, those are just fun things. The Bible says laughter makes the heart glad like a medicine. And I think... You know, we don't get old because we laugh. We get old because we stop laughing. So we ought to laugh, 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 have fun. You know, a lot of people that don't come to church, they don't, they don't think church is fun. But I believe church ought to be fun too, don't you? Yeah. Uh, I need to talk to you about something here for a minute, then we'll look at our scripture for today. Uh, when I came here and I, I was asked to be your interim pastor, um, they asked if I'd make a six-month commitment. And to be honest with you, I didn't know if I could do that or not. Um, I've only done this a couple of times before, interim that is, and um, I wasn't sure. So I said, let's do this. Let's, let's do a, a three-month commitment. Then at the, three, at the end of three months, we'll kind of evaluate where, where we are. Uh, and uh, well, the three months came and went. You know, the first Sunday I preached here was Super Bowl Sunday, February the 13th. So I've been here for a while. And, um, but I'm, I'm at the point now where I, I realize I don't think I can go uh, I, into the fall. Uh, it's not a health issue. I mean, it's, it's time-consuming. You know, a lot of preachers can reach in their files and pull out an old outline and come to the pulpit and preach it. I can't do that. I've never been able to do it. don't want to do that. So I'll spend 12, 15 hours a week, every week, getting, trying to get ready for Sunday. But, you know, my son lives in Oklahoma, and uh, he works like everybody else during the week. So if I'm going to get up there and see him, I have to see him on weekends. So when I'm committed every Sunday, I can't do that. My lady friend, I like to call her, that lives in Austin, uh, I, I miss going down there and taking her to her church on Sunday. We, we did that uh, before. And she can't always come up here. So I, uh, I told your deacons last Sunday that I will be uh, finishing up my tenure here as, uh, as your interim pastor on, in, the, in the middle of September. In fact, September the 18th will be my last official Sunday as your interim, I will say, I enjoyed it. I have enjoyed it, and I will enjoy it. So not over. You know, we got all of August and part of September to go. But uh, the Lord's just been reminding me why I retired. <laughs> uh, I, I retired to have spend more time with my family. Of course, then my wife. Of course, my wife has been gone now for two and a half years. But I still have family in Oklahoma. I still have a brother. That's in poor health, and uh, Tyler, I'd like to get up there and spend spend more time with him. But uh, 
like I said a while ago, I think I said it, uh, come September the 18th, I will have been here 24 Sundays. Time goes fast when you're having fun, right? Well, it's gone real fast. But I actually got on my calendar the other day, my, and I started, because I write down every Sunday that I preach here, and I write down what I preached on and what text I used and so forth. But uh, come September the 18th will be 24 Sundays. I've been with you guys. And uh, I sent something very special about this church the first Sunday I was here. And I sent something special about it today. And if I were younger, I would uh, definitely. But it's just been uh, more and more the Lord's just been showing me. I, I had you retire for a reason. And uh, so I... Again, I'm not saying goodbye today because I'll be here for several more Sundays. And I believe the Lord sent me here to teach you some things that, honestly, most Baptist preachers won't talk about. And it's a shame they won't talk about them because the Bible talks about them. And the Bible says all Scripture, not just some, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, and so forth, that the workman of God might be thoroughly furnished. So I don't make any apologies for preaching all the Scripture, even some of those passages that uh, some would, be, would consider more controversial. Well, they're controversial because they've never been explained, see? And uh, so I, I just want to, like I say, I shared that with the deacons last week. Some of you may already know that, but uh, I, I, I've enjoyed it here. Will it continue to enjoy it? Um, so somebody asked me this morning, why, why didn't your lady friend come up here more? Well, she's got commitments there. In fact, this, this Sunday, her grandson from Colorado is visiting with her. And besides that, I'd rather be on the highway than her. Somebody has to do the driving. I'd rather do the driving than her have to do the driving. So, but she comes occasionally. And I've already told her I want her to be, with, I want her to be here on the 18th. Now, it doesn't mean I won't be back again. In fact, if you don't invite me back again, I'll invite myself back again. And I will accept my own invitation. <laughs> so whomever you call as your new interim or, or, or your, you know, your pastor someday, uh, just tell him, I know somebody that will come uh, you know, and supply for you. Uh, and it's easier to do it occasionally than it is every single Sunday. And, uh, and it's, uh, I make that sound like it's drudgery. It's not. I enjoy preaching. I'll preach to anybody that will stand still or walk slow. But I will not chase you down. I, I don't have the energy anymore to do that. <laughs> when I was younger, I probably would have tried it. Okay. I'm going to try something different today. I, I have, it's easier to keep up with my notes and my scriptures. And so I'm going to use this. But we're going to look at a couple of verses today. I want you to open your Bible to the book of James. And you'll recall that James is the brother of Jesus. I'm sure they had many conversations about things that were important. But um, and let, me, let me talk about a verse before we look at this verse. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12, Paul says to uh, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, or credit, depending on the translation, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Then you come to James chapter 2, 
And we'll look at beginning in verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says, and notice they're saying it, they're not necessarily doing it, but they're saying what? They're saying that they have faith, but have no works. Can faith save him? Now, he's not talking about just faith. He's talking about that kind of faith. And the person who just says he has salvation, but we'll see, but he doesn't demonstrate it, can that kind of faith save a person? If a brother or sister, for example, is without clothing in need of daily food, and one of you should say to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Well, the answer is none. Even so, if it, uh, if it's a, even, I'm sorry, even so faith, if it does not have works, is dead being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith with your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe, in, you believe God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works <clears throat> is useless? You know, when Paul says we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, the question that comes to my mind is, how can you work out what you didn't work for? How can you work out what you didn't work for? You see, salvation is a gift. We don't earn it. We don't receive it. In fact, listen to 1 John 5 and verse 11. He says, this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. It's a gift. He's given us eternal life, and that life is in his Son. In Ephesians 2.8, Paul says, For by grace, unmerited favor, for by grace have you been saved by faith, that not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. So, but yet Paul is saying, I want you to work out that salvation. Now notice he did not say, I want you to work for that salvation. That's not what he said. He said, I want you to work out your salvation. But we know that from Scripture, we receive salvation as a, uh, by faith, don't we? For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of ourselves is the gift of God. But how can we know if that faith is genuine faith or not? As there, in our studies so far of faith, we've seen that there's, there's two kinds of faith. There's a natural faith. You're exercising that faith right now by sitting in that chair, Right? You sit down, you sit on that chair, exercise faith that that chair is going to hold you. We go to a doctor or we go to a pharmacy. He gives us a prescription we can't read. We go home and take it by faith. That's not biblical faith, however. But how can we know that uh, our faith is really genuine? James steps up to the plate and says, I'll tell you how you know it's genuine or not. Is it accompanied by works? Is it, is, it, is it just words, or are you backing it up with a lifestyle? So, he says it has to be by appropriate action. Now, Paul adds to that this, that real faith is always exercised in love. Listen to uh, Galatians 5 and verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision... That could be translated a couple of different ways, Jew or Gentile, 
or just circumcised. He says, neither circumcision or uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. So Paul here, you know, Paul seems to be saying this, no matter what outside thing you've done, whether it's ritual or, or ceremony, it doesn't matter if you don't have faith. Yet there's a lot of denominations today that put a lot of emphasis on ritual and, and uh, ceremony that the Bible doesn't put there. For example, Catholics, and I love Catholics. I've got a neighbor that was across the street from me, one of the best neighbors I've ever had in my life. She's a Catholic, beautiful Christian. The Catholics believe that you have to be baptized as a baby to wash away your original sin. When my uh, youngest granddaughter was born, she's six now, just had her sixth birthday, her other grandparents were Catholic. So when they came down to visit, they, they asked me the question, well, have you baptized her yet? Well, I answered her question with a question. I said, is infant baptism in the Bible? For which she had to acknowledge it's not. Not anywhere in the Bible do you find any type of infant baptism. Other denominations, like the Church of Christ, now, this is the old Church of Christ. Uh, my grandmother was uh, that, of that persuasion. Uh, they, they believed if you weren't baptized, you weren't saved. In other words, you had to get baptized in order to get saved. And they got that from Acts 2.38. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But let's go back and read that again, or quote that again. Be baptized for the remission of sins. For the remission of sins. Okay, you can translate it because of, or you can translate it in order that. For example, if I told you they put a guy in jail for stealing a car, what does that mean? They put him in jail in order to steal a car? No. They put him in jail because he stole a car. And again, it can be translated either way. So let's translate it that way. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized because of the remission of your sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So I, I can't find anywhere in Scripture where it says, you know, you, you have to be baptized in order to be saved. It's an act of obedience. Paul said in Romans chapter 6, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. For how shall we that are died to Christ live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized also into his death, that we're buried with him by baptism unto death, that like Christ is raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so should we also walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that the old man is crucified with Christ, that the new man might come forth. But are we literally crucified with Christ? Are we literally dead and buried? No, it's symbolic. Baptism is symbolic. I was talking to a church of Christ, and I'm not making fun of that, but that's what they believe. I said, well, at what part in the water are you saved? Is it as your nose goes under? Is it as your nose comes out? And they use the word symbolize. I said, no, you can't use that word. That's our word. <laughs> you believe you literally have to be baptized in order to be saved. So to me, uh, I'll, I'll equate much of what I say today with marriage. 
You don't get married in order to fall in love, do you, young people? You get married because you're in love, right? Okay, baptism is kind of like that ceremony where you're united to Christ. You, you don't go through that ceremony until after you fall in love with the Lord, okay? Now, again, I grew up Methodist. I was sprinkled when I was a baby. When I was about uh, 16 years old, they came and got me out of Sunday school. I don't know if I told you that story or not. I thought I'd, I thought I'd messed up. Here they are pulling me out of Sunday school, and, and it was Easter Sunday morning. They said, Barry, you've reached the age of accountability, and you need to be baptized. You need to join the church. Okay. I'm glad, I was glad I wasn't, hadn't done anything wrong. I said, well, what do I do? We'll just go down to the front of the church with the rest of the kids. And So I went down there, and uh, I was a head taller than all of them. I was about 16. They were probably 10 or 11. And the preacher looked at us and said, those of you that don't want to accept your infant baptism, take a step backward. Well, I didn't know anything about infant baptism, so I stood there. Preacher looked at me like, why are you standing here? I don't know. I don't remember being an infant baptized. So he took a rose and dipped it in the water and tapped me on the head a couple of times and said, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I went home and told my mother, who was a PK, preacher's kid, I said, guess what? I got baptized this morning. She said, well, you didn't need to get baptized. I had you baptized as a baby. But, but once again, do you get baptized in order to or because of? I really believe the Scripture teaches because of. Secondly, he says that uh, the essential element for the Christian life is faith. The writer of Hebrews says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. But we, so God, what God is looking for is faith-filled hearts. Because out of faith-filled hearts will come what? Faith-filled words. And what did we talk about last Sunday? Our faith needs to be spoken, doesn't it? You activate your faith by speaking the words. That's why Jesus said, speak to the mountain. Say to the mountain, be, be uplifted and cast in the sea. And don't doubt in your heart, but believe that what you say it's going to happen. You'll have what you say, okay? So it's important to do that. So there's no substitute for any type of a, a ritual or a ceremony. By grace are you saved through faith, the Bible says. Thirdly, Paul and James both say that a saving faith is an active faith. It's not, a st it's not uh, stifled. It's, it's an active faith. And where there's no activity, he says there's no real faith. And again, let me go ahead and quote, uh, put this back in, into marriage. Um, marriage is not just saying to somebody, I love you. My marriage lasted almost 51 years. It didn't last 51, it lasted 51 years because she died. Uh, but it didn't last 51 years because every once in a while I said, Martha, I love you. It lasted 51 years because I demonstrated to her on a daily basis that I loved her. And she demonstrated back to me on a daily basis that she loved me. There was a popular song out a few years ago, several years ago, I guess, called Show and Tell. I don't know if any of y'all, y'all won't remember it, but some of them might. And, and he said something like, show me and tell me, I, I love you. And he said, I, show me and tell me that you love me too. Well, that's what the Christian life's all about. 
God don't God doesn't just want you to say, God, I love you. He wants you to show him that you love him. Just like your wife and your husband want the same thing. So he says, if there's no love, there's no real faith. And there's no book in the Bible that emphasizes that more than the book of James. A lot of people think that James and Paul are at odds with each other, but they're not. Uh, they're dealing with two different kinds of people. Paul is dealing with people that felt like they, you're justified by keeping the law. Okay, So Paul says to the Romans, Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in God's sight. For by the law came knowledge of sin, that every mouth might be stopped, and the whole world might become guilty before God. James, on the other hand, is dealing with the people that felt like, well, if, you're, if you've got faith, that's all that's necessary. He says, no, it is necessary to, to demonstrate that faith and, to, and show that faith. And so uh, James is saying it's not by faith alone, but it's by faith that shows itself, demonstrates itself to be that way. And so if Christ, uh, if you could be saved just you know, by works without Christ, then Christ died in vain, didn't he? There's probably at least one person today, at least one person in this room today that thinks like this, I believe in God, I'm home free. I believe in God, I'm home free. No, you're not. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, belief in God will get you to heaven. It doesn't say that. It says there's no other name given among men whereby man must be saved other than the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that the life is in the Son, so for a person to say, well, I believe I can go to heaven just because I believe in God, you're going to stand before God one day and tell God, God, your son didn't have to die for me. Because I'm a good person. I don't cuss and I, I do good things. And then you're saying to him, then you let your son die on the cross for no reason. And I wouldn't want to be in your shoes if you stand before God and tell him that. Jesus said, God sent his son in the world in order for us to be saved through him. So James says, but once you're justified, okay, we're justified by faith. But he says, once you're just, and by the way, the word justified, I like to break it down like this, just as if I'd, just as if I'd not sinned. That's what it means. Someday we'll stand before God just as if we haven't sinned. Why? Because on the cross, Jesus said it's finished. Everything that had to be done for the redemption of man was complete. And Jesus said it's done, it's over with, it's finished. The only way we can get to God is, is through him. And so James is talking to people who are saying that, they're, that they have faith. But he said by your lack of action, you're saying that it's not. But again, once we're justified, a justified person should live a, a certain way. And again, I'll, I'll carry this analogy a little bit further, uh, the marriage thing. A, a, a single man and a married man shouldn't act the same way, should they? And what can a single man do? If he wants to get off work and go bar hopping or go fishing until the sun goes down, he can do that. Why? Because he's single. Married men don't do that. They come home to their family. They have responsibilities. You leave your job to go home to do your real work. And so he's saying, that's the way it is in the Christian life. You don't just say, I'm a Christian. 
If your life doesn't reflect that, he said, then your words, you're invalidating your own words. And the problem today is there's too many people that say they're Christians that don't live like Christians. You know what that does? That confuses the world. It really does. It confuses the world. So they say, you know what? I really don't need it. You know what? They're right. They don't need that kind of Christianity. We're called to be a different people. Uh, the word Christian came from the word Christ person. In sign language, this is the word for Christians, a Christ person. Person would be this. Christ would be this. As Christians, we're, we're called upon by God to live a different kind of life. One that the world can recognize is different. I think the greatest compliment I ever had was from a young man that, uh, in high school. He stopped me on the square one day in Sulphur Springs. He said, Barry, I want to thank you for something. I didn't remember ever doing anything for him. Mike Jackson was his name. I said, well, Mike, uh, what did that do? He said, well, you don't, know, you don't know this, but he said, a year ago, I, I heard that you got religion. I think that's the term he used. I heard you got religion. He said, you don't know this, but I've been watching you every day. I've been listening to you. And for the last year, I've seen something different in your life, something that I want. And I've asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart and be my Savior. And I want to thank you for being a Christian example for me. He went on to become a pastor himself. See, somebody's watching us all the time. We may not know it, but the world's watching us. So Paul says we should see, they should see our faith in our love, and they should see it in our works. And again, he said that in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6. Actions back up love. He taught that same truth in what, they, what we call the love chapter. I love this. I, I very seldom ever do a wedding that I don't read this passage of Scripture. And this is, what it, this is the definition of love. Most people say love is a feeling you feel when you feel that you're fixing to feel a feeling you feel you've never felt before. No, I, you, you don't think I can say that again, do you? Love is the feeling you feel when you feel that you're fixing to feel a feeling that you feel you never felt before. That's not love. That's emotion. What is love? Here it is right here. Love is patient. Are you a patient person? If you're not a patient person, you're not a loving person. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag. It's not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. What do you seek in marriage? Do you seek your own? Or do you seek what's best for your partner? It's not easily provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. Did you hear that? Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but it rejoices in truth. Real love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and finally, he says, love never fails. Now listen to me. If we loved like this, that would cut the divorce rate down in America to practically zero. 
But we don't go into marriage always thinking, I'm going to do what, I'm going to put her first. I'm going to do what, you know, she's going to be first in my life. And, and, and there's not going to be any of this jealousy or arrogance or any of this kind of stuff. So it's not. You know, I hear songs today, what the world needs now is love. But it needs that kind of love. God's kind of love. So, again, James emphasizes that in the scripture we read a moment ago. Now, again, he's talking about a person who claims to have faith. You know, claiming to have something and having it's two different things, isn't it? But sometimes our life contradicts what we say we have. Uh, I was a 32nd degree Mason for many, many years. I finally got out and just told them that I didn't, I didn't, couldn't do it anymore. But uh, one of the things that they ask you to do as a Mason is never to take God's name in vain. That's one of the things they ask you to do. Never take God's name in vain. In fact, you make a commitment that you'll, that you'll not do that. Well, I worked my way through college as a meat cutter, butcher. And I was in the meat market there one day cutting, and, and this salesman came in, and he was talking to the manager, and about every other expression was a, a GD, taking God's name in vain. Uh, well, I knew he would be offended if I went over as a Christian and said something to him. So when the manager walked off, I walked over to him, over, and I said, that's a beautiful ring you're wearing. What is that? He said, oh, that's a Masonic ring. I said, her are you a mason? And he answered in the appropriate way. There's only one way that you can answer that question appropriately. He answered in the appropriate way. And I said to him, you know what? You're not a mason. I said, you took an obligation that you would not take God's name in vain. I've heard you stand here and take God's name in vain three or four times in this conversation. Why don't you take that ring off and put it in your pocket and quit embarrassing the Masonic Lodge? Well, you know what? He started getting apologetic. I don't know if he'd have done that if I'd have just approached him on the Christian standpoint. But you know what? It says, it says that Christians ought to be the same way. Now, we don't necessarily take a vow about this or that and that and the other, but he's saying that our lives ought to be different. It lacks sincerity. Therefore, it's not real. And uh, so our actions speak louder than our words. They talk the talk, but they don't... Walk the walk. Uh, you know what confuses these kids over here? And they're not kids. They're, but there's, I see some children. You know what confuses them? For you to come to church on Sunday morning and then go home and act like you're not a Christian. Say bad things to each other. That confuses them. There's a story about a little boy that uh, his dad didn't come to church very much, but he came one Sunday, took his son and his wife, on the way home, he was complaining, well, I didn't like that sermon. That was a bad sermon. Besides that, it was too long. The little boy in the back seat said, Dad, I thought it was a pretty good show for a dollar. Because that's what he put in the collection plate, it was a dollar. You confuse your children when you bring them to church on Sunday morning and then go home and live like they're not a Christian, talk like you're not a Christian. Fight with each other like you're not Christians. I know it confused me growing up as a boy. And here's what the kids are saying to you. They're saying, parents, I can't hear what you're saying because I see what you're doing. 
which is the real you, let me know. So they had incorrect theology. I'm going to have to hurry. I'm going to quit listening in a minute, and I'm going to keep going. Uh, they had incorrect theology. They were saying in verse 18, I believe, I believe in, in one God. Well, let me tell you something about that. Again, believing in God will not get you to heaven unless you believe in Jesus Christ. But um, it, it won't surprise, I think you should know this by now, the devil believes in God. In fact, in the book of Job, he had a conversation with him. And he told God, he said, Job only serves you because you're good to him. So, so the devil believes in God. And so James is saying, you believe there's one God, you do well. But let me remind you of this, the demons also believe and tremble. So he says our life should be different. Next he said, demons have a belief. You know, demons have a belief system. Demons are not uh, atheists or agnostics. They have a belief system. Let me point out some scriptures, some things that they believe, Okay. It says, first of all, they believe in one God. The Bible tells us Mark chapter 3, they believe in Christ's sonship. In Mark chapter, Luke chapter 8, they, they believe in a, a place of punishment. They believe that Jesus will be their final judge. Jesus, son of David, if you come to judge us before our time, they understand all that. But a person can have good theology and still not be a Christian. So he uses two biblical examples, and I'm going to have to hurry with these. Abraham, he uses Abraham. Let's look at that passage real quickly. Go back to, to James with me. He uses Abraham as an example. Let's flip over there. Verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see then that faith was working with his works, and as a result of his, of his works, faith was perfected. Now, let's go to Abraham for a moment. What's he talking about? Abraham, God came to Abraham and said, I want you to leave the Earl of Chaldees. I want you to go to the promised land in Cana. And so he took him all these years. Went, he finally got down there when he got, because he promised him something. He said, you're going to have a son. And he's going to, through, your, through you and your son, his descendants, you're going to bless the entire world. So he, gets, so he shows up at Cana, and, God's, and he says, well, God, here I am in the, in the promised land, but, but I don't have a son. Well, you're, you're going to have a son. In fact, he took him outside and showed him the stars. He said, you see all these stars? He said, your descendants will be more than these stars. And then the Bible says, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Then he believed. And then for the next 20 years, God spent time uh, just developing his faith until you come to chapter 22, and he gave him the ultimate test. He said, I want you to take that son of promise that I gave you, and I want you to take him up on the hill and I want you to sacrifice him to me. I only have one son. But I can't see myself killing him. Abraham took him up there. And the Bible tells us in the 11th chapter of Hebrews that Abraham believed in his heart 
that if he took his son's life, God would raise him from the dead. So he built the altar, put his son on the altar, and he raised his hand, and the Bible says God stayed his hand. And to this day, if you've ever studied dactology or, again, sign language, this is the sign for Abraham. This is the sign for Abraham. God stayed his hand. And, of course, he went on to, uh, to be a great leader. So faith always has a starting point, it has a, but it develops into action, and it's brought into maturity. The second one he used was Rahab. Let's look at that real quickly. Rahab. Uh, James, uh, okay. Mm, I didn't mark that. Okay. Uh, what verse, does, what verse does, April, does Rahab start? It starts in verse 25. Verse 25. Let's go down further. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she, raised, when she received the messenger and sent them out by another way? Real quickly, the story is that God sent in these two spies into Jericho to spy it out because they were going to come in and destroy it. And, and here was a harlot. And this teaches me that uh, uh, there's no person outside of God's grace that he could help. Here was this harlot, and she lived in a town that had already been condemned by God. He just sent spies in to check it out before they came in and destroyed it. But the Bible says that she helped those spies. She hid those spies. The word got back to the king that, that she had, was hiding them. So they came to her house and said, yes, they were here briefly, but they, they left some time ago. In fact, if you'll hurry, you might be able to catch them. But she hid them. And because her house was up against the wall, she was able to let them escape by tying a rope down, and they escaped. And uh, they told her, they said, now, when we come to destroy this city, we're going to... If, if you'll have a red ribbon hanging out your window, we will not, we'll see to it that you're spared and your family. That red ribbon represented the blood of Jesus, just like it represented when the death angel came back years and years ago. And so that's a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, again, I'm going to have to hurry here to get through. So just as the body without the spirit is dead, so is faith if, if it's... Uh, alone. You know, uh, the body is only as good when the Spirit's in it. When I was in Italy, I saw some things that was I thought were gross. I went to these Catholic churches, and you know what they had up there under glass? A priest who had been dead for centuries, or a cardinal or somebody, and what was left of his skeletal, you could tell it's the body, the face and hands and arms, they had him up there on display. Well, the Bible says the flesh profits nothing. Why would you do that? When I was in Russia on Red Square, there in Red Square, they've got Stalin's body entombed in glass. And it was, to me, it was gross to look at it. But listen what James is saying. Just like the body is nothing without the spirit, so our faith is nothing if it does not have corresponding action. And we grow in our grace. God doesn't require the same things of you that he does of me. I'm a pastor. He requires more of me. The Bible makes it quite clear. People in the ministry are, are held to a higher expectation. But we grow in that grace. We grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's developed. But without faith, 
He says it's nothing. So he concludes by saying this, just as a body is lifeless without the spirit, our faith is lifeless if it doesn't have corresponding action. Now, there's a real good possibility. In fact, I'd say 100% possibility. God will never ask you to offer your son or to give your son the way he did Abraham. But there's a 100% probability that God will ask you to give. If you believe in the local church, if you believe this church is carrying out God's work and, and, and you don't give to that, there's something wrong with that kind of faith. For a person to come to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and never support that church is like the guy that was out hitchhiking one day and he passed a guy that was pushing his car because it had stalled. And he said to him, if you get that car started, I'd like to ride with you. But he didn't offer to push it. There's a real good possibility and probability that God will ask you to serve. He'll ask you to serve in your local church. He won't ask you just to come and, and receive, 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 but he'll ask you to contribute. And there's a real good possibility. In fact, there's an excellent possibility. He's going to ask you if your faith is real, why don't you share it with somebody? If we as Christians believe that there's only one way to get to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ, and, and we hold that back from people, I don't understand that. Those of us that have been saved, listen to this, please listen to this. Those of us that have been saved this side of heaven have a responsibility to share our faith with the unsaved this side of hell. We have that responsibility. And our faith, if it does not have corresponding action, is dead being alone. We as Baptists say, well, he made a profession of faith when he was five years old. Therefore, he's going to heaven. Who said? Who said? Did he carry out that profession of faith? Did he demonstrate the profession of faith by having a new life in Christ Jesus? The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Yet I see people all the time say, oh yeah, I made a profession of faith when I was a boy. I'm okay. There's a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is the way of death, the Bible says. And across the page, it, it repeats it. There's a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is the way of death. So don't be like that. Go home this afternoon and just say, you know, what am I doing right now? What, what am I doing in front of my kids so that they'll know their daddy's a Christian? What are, we, what are we doing as a family that other families in our neighborhood will know that we're believers? Thank you for indulging me a little bit. I spent a little too much time at the front. But let's stand together. We're going to pray. And if you're here today and when the service is over, if you are during the worship time, if you need prayer or you have questions, I notice there's a little card on your pew there on those back of those seats. If you have a question or a comment, uh, put it right out on write that out and somebody will contact you from the church.